Hello and welcome to another edition of Ask the Experts here on City News 570. I'm joined today by Faisal Suziwala. Faisal is ranked within the top three real estate brokers in the world for REMAX. He was recently named Canada's top agent as well, and he began his career at the young age of 18, and he's been providing outstanding results for over 30 years now, most notably with REMAX Twin City Realty. Uh, listeners, if you're interested in any of the information we discuss over the next hour, please reach out to Faisal directly. You can uh, start your journey at homeshack.com. You can call him 519-624-5555 or email Faisal at homeshack.com. Uh, Faisal, we're coming off a fairly uh, interesting week when it comes to the markets and uh, maybe you can give us an update. Let us know where we are right now and, and looking into that crystal ball, what's going to be happening? Well, things are exciting. The first quarter of this year is starting to have a lot of positive uh, vibes out there. We're seeing people getting back into the market. We're seeing those uh, multiple offers starting to hit the market again. Inventory is still at a low right now. So um, there is some optimism that uh, there will be more selection out there for those buyers who are waiting on the sidelines. The great news right now is that we have uh, the CPI, the inflation numbers came out and we are at 2.9. So that is going to definitely uh, be an uptick in the market. It will send the right message, hopefully to the Bank of Canada, not to raise interest rates. And we can expect hopefully April, uh, March and April um, announcements to be paused and hopefully even a reduction coming into the summer. So it's all looking good right now for sellers. Uh, for those buyers who are sitting on the sidelines, they may want to consider jumping in sooner than later. And I, I think if we were to go back, you know, a year and a half ago, these were the conversations we were having. And I remember you talking about 2024 as being that sort of wait and see at the beginning of it. But but as you've looked at trends for 30 years and you know what goes up comes down and and vice versa. And, and here we are kind of, you know, in lockstep with what you had been saying. March, April most likely is going to be that pause. Uh, and then we we head into the uh, the warmer months and and. Fingers crossed that the, those rates start to come down, and 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 hopefully that uh, that's where uh, where we're going to be. In your mind, it are we are we moving in the right direction when it comes to decisions that the government or that the, the Bank of Canada is making? We really are. You know, the government had I think overshot uh, in controlling uh, the the inflation numbers, and and they were using interest rates as the main vehicle to do that. Now we're seeing that, okay, that has come into play. The numbers that we're seeing today are, are correcting into the right way. And, 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 and hopefully we see other things come down, like cost of groceries, cost of gas, um, because that also contributes heavily into our inflation numbers. You've been you've been uh, giving the advice the last year and a half as well to talk about that idea of you know, we know that there are a lot of mortgages that are coming due either right now or the next couple of months. Is it still in your mind the best idea to to maybe take a shorter term right now? And even though we know things are getting better, but take that shorter term and and wait to see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. I, I am all for that shorter term, one year, two year. I'm not I'm not going variable. Uh, so practicing what I'm preaching here, two year. Fixed mortgages are comfortable at this point. If you can get somewhere in the high fives, uh, yes, you're paying a little bit more, but at the end of the day, if the rates come down to the 4% mark in the next 24 months, then you'll be further ahead instead of locking in at five and a half or 5.75 
for a five-year mortgage. Um, I, I just think that that two-year is a sweet spot right now and adjustments will happen and you'll be far better off. And then maybe go back to variable at that point and see what the market's doing in, in a couple of years. It's always a good idea to do your homework. I know I've, I've spent, we, we're a year and a half out, I think, for, for our um, mortgage renewal. But I'm already starting to play with the numbers. And, and you know, if you can get yourself on the internet, there's lots of opportunities to to look at a mortgage calculator, play around with the numbers, do all of those things, and uh, and and know what it is that you're willing to, you know, sort of connect, uh, you know, you're committing to, um, and, and have that, if you want some wiggle room, well, like you're saying, to make it a year, make it two years, and, and you can go from there. Uh, one of the things, and, and we talked a bit about this before the show, uh, with that renewal for us coming up, we are also not quite ready yet, but we're I can see it on the horizon, uh, that uh, that big uh, retirement that's going to be happening. And it, it's, it's great to daydream about it. But I know one of the key things that you've talked about in the past is you can't just dream about it. You actually have to be planning for your retirement. Uh, what What's the best advice that you would give to people who might be in that situation in the next few years? Well, first of all, you're way too young to think about retirement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, none of us you, are too young. None of us are too young. We should start thinking about it at, at a very early age. And I'm encouraging people as as young as 25 to start putting money into their RSPs. And, and of course, leading into the RSP season, it's certainly something that we should keep in mind, not only for the investment aspect of it, but for the tax savings uh, benefits that you get from that and other vehicles as well. So let's look at what your aim should be at retirement. Well, personally speaking, my aim would be to replace my uh, career income so that I don't have to suffer and give uh, and do less things. So I, I want to be able to enjoy the vacations, enjoy the uh, eating out, enjoy the lifestyle that I'm accustomed to without having to give that up because now I've retired. So you have to really assess. And the way to really look at that as a general guideline is calculate your retirement expenses. So think about where you're going to have right. as expenses, your, your home, your car, whatever other expenses you may have, um, including your housing, your health care, your transportation needs, entertainment, travel, any other discretionary spending that you might have. So think about that, number one. Number two, consider the sources of retirement income you're going to have when you retire. Are you going to have old age pension, uh, CPP? Will you have employment uh, pension from your workplace? Will you have rental income, passive income coming your way? Um, are there savings and interest income that you'll be getting? So think about all of the income. Now look at the gap. Look at the gap between by subtracting your expected retirement income from your estimated expenses. And you'll have an idea of what your monthly needs are going to be. So a, a commonly used guideline is the it, it's called the 4% rule. And the 4% rule is very interesting. Um, it suggests withdrawing 4% of your retirement savings annually to sustain the lifestyle you've become accustomed to throughout your retirement. Okay. So, so, so the way to calculate that and, and just... Let's come up with a number. By the time we're at that age, uh, Brock, you and I, uh, maybe we need $100,000 a year to live on. Okay, so maybe today it's $50,000 a year. But by that time, maybe we need $100,000 a year to live on. If we need $100,000 per year to live on, 
calculate that by 25. So take 100,000 times that by 25, you need $2.5 million in some form of retirement savings in order to be able to take 4% of that out every year. So if you take 4% okay. of $2.5 million, that's $100,000 annually. So if you retire at 65 years of age, that'll take you to 90. Right. And you'll still be able to withdraw $100,000 every year. And that'll pay for whatever lifestyle choices you have at that, at that point. You'll be able to sustain your lifestyle without having to start selling off things because you just can't simply afford to live. So at a very young age, if you start putting money away, and, and let, let's say at, at the age of 25, if you're able to uh, start putting away $5,000 a year, and then by the time you're 30, you're putting away $10,000 uh, uh, or more with compound interest, with investments, your goal should be to get to the point where you can apply this 4% rule. So it, look, if you only need $50,000 a year to live, then you need $1.25 million in some form of retirement savings right. to be, and that's, uh, that's, that's if you have no other income, if you have no other source of income, but if you have CPP, you have a pension plan, you have other investments, rental income, passive income, you then don't need to have that two and a half million dollars or one and a half million dollars saved up because you've got some form of a recurring passive income coming your way. And, and I talk a lot about that, that, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be cash in an account or a GIC in order for you to have a comfortable retirement. And that's where real estate comes in very, very strongly in my, in my radar to, to ensure that I have enough passive income to replace my annual employment income to sustain the lifestyle that I wish to live and help the people that I wish to help during my retirement. And, and I would think there's a bit of a maybe a, a bit of sliding scale there as well, too. You think of that if you're retiring at 65 and and you, you look at that and say, OK, I've got 10 good years for traveling right at, at 75 or, or, or 80. You might not be as interested in traveling. But so there may be higher expenses in that first 10 years. But after that, things start to slow down a little bit. You're spending more time at home. So but I like that idea. And it, it's a it's an easy one for people to wrap their heads around uh, and and be able to to look at those numbers and, and figure that out. I, we should take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, um, we've been talking about retirement. We should you know, we, we want to talk a little bit more about interest rates and, and you know, uh, looking at our own credit rating, all of those things. Faisal loves to talk numbers. And loves to talk finances. So we're going to be doing that over the next 45 minutes or so. Stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker, Faisal Suziwala. Listeners, if you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555 or Email works as well, Faisal at homeshack.com. Uh, Faisal, we were we were talking about uh, the fact that the uh, annual inflation rate, it slowed down a little bit. Uh, the experts are looking at, you know, there, we, we might see an early interest rate cut maybe in in late spring or in the in the summer. Um, if that's, that's one way of tackling it. But I know when I was going through those pre-show notes, uh, you had a list of, of five ways that uh, we can get that inflation rate down to that, that sweet spot of 2% without really raising rates. Um, maybe you can walk us through that list and what are the things that we should be paying attention to? 
Yeah, I think I've got the solution to our inflation issues here. So I'm glad to hear it. About some of it uh, and, and see if, if it resonates with our good government here. So lowering mortgage costs. So we've talked about this in the past that Canada takes into consideration the cost of mortgage, the cost of rent in the inflation numbers. And that's what puts us over. If we take right. those out, like the U.S. does not include those numbers in their inflation rates. So if we take that out, we're already below the 2%. So 28.5% of our inflation numbers are as a result of the mortgage costs, the cost of borrowing. So if we take that out, of course, that's going to lower our rate. But if we can lower the mortgage rates, of course, that will lower the inflation. And, and that's something that I think we're on the trajectory now, and we're going to start seeing that coming into the summer. What's very interesting, I did a little bit of research the cost of milk. So I'm not talking just groceries. I'm talking specifically mm -hmm. the cost of milk. In We are the fifth most expensive country in the world for wow. milk. Like, do we not have cows? Like, why do we not have, <laughs> why are we paying so much for our milk? Um, it, our milk in Canada is twice that of uh, uh, the cost of US. So that's an interesting, so that, that again, works into our grocery costs. It's very expensive. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, alcohol, here's here, here's one that, uh, you know, our friends will, will appreciate. So if it's an Ontario-based wine, the tax on that is 6.1%. But if we bring out of province, province wine, so you bring in wine from, from, from the West Coast into Ontario, uh, Ontario has to pay 20.1% on that. So again, there's this, sort of uh, surcharge when it's not from Ontario. That would, again, and that, of course, like apparently there's a lot of wine drinkers in Ontario, so that's that's contributing to our inflation numbers. Um, equalizing that's because milk's so expensive, right? Milk's so expensive, you got to drink something. Yeah, exactly. If you can't get the wine, you got to get the milk. <laughs> <laughs> um, equalizing the, the tax on gasoline. So... If you go to Calgary, the, the tax on gasoline is 18% less than it is in Toronto. So there's a huge, you know, you don't pay 20% 20, 20 more for gas in Toronto than you would. And of course, like, don't even get me started on housing costs. Calgary is, of course, a lot, lot, lot less uh, than it is out here. And then limiting the, uh, the need for importing oil. So last, um, uh, in 2019, $18.9 billion worth of oil was imported into Canada. $13.7 billion of that came from uh, the U.S. and $3 billion of that came from Saudi Arabia. If you look at that, now again, a, a controversial topic here, but building a pipeline from Western Canada solves that problem. And again, I'm not going to get into the politics of building the pipeline, but that is something that why are we spending $18.9 billion in importing oil when we have the resources locally, uh, at least within our country. Again, not an economist, but those are just some of my thoughts on how to control these inflation numbers. Um, I think we're being taxed to death here uh, and something is something needs to give and something needs to be adjusted here. And and I I know we you know you, we make light of it a little bit, but it's it, it these are you, you look at things like milk and they're they're kind of that that bellwether measuring stick. Everybody you know or, or a, a large part of the population buys that on a weekly basis. If the price of that is is going up, then we we can pretty much assume the price of other things are going up. 
we need to stay on top of those things. And and we've joked in the past that Faisal, you know, should run for, for government. He's not interested in doing that. But uh, but it is important for us to to at least take a look at it and say there's there's a lot of different ways you can you can come at uh, solving a problem. And I like I like looking at the numbers and I like hearing those numbers. Even if even if they're not in our favor, it's still important for us to be able to take a look at that and say, okay, well, why is it that gas would be more expensive in, in Toronto than it is in, in, in Calgary? And break it down and look at, is it transportation cost? It, it, you know, all of those pieces, but they all play a factor in, in, in our everyday life. And, and we've said this before, for most people that are out there listening, they, you know, they may look at their finances on a uh, week-to-week or maybe a bi-weekly basis and they say, this is what I've got. This is this is, you know, and and these are the expenses. And you want to make sure that you've got more money left at the end of the month and not more month left at the end of the money. It's uh, that's important. Uh, Faisal, the other thing that that I, I when we were looking over uh, discussion points for today, that idea and it 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 impacts all of us, and it also, uh, it it has a, a wide ranging effect for people. Um, looking at ways for any of us to boost our credit score, uh, maybe some advice that you've got for folks that are you know they want to look a little more favorable in the eyes of lenders. What what should we be taking into consideration? Yeah, yeah, it's very important, especially young people. You know, I, I read some stats not that long ago that um, you know Equifax published the credit ratings based on age groups. So the 18 to 35 age group has got the lowest uh, credit rating right now, which is 692 to 697. Um, and, and it's not horrible because we, we often see credit ratings in the 500. So it looks like we're mm-hmm. on the right path. People are improving their credit. Uh, those who are age 46 to 65 are at seven, 718 to 737. So the ways to improve your credit rating, but first of all, let's look at why you want to have good credit. You want right. to have a good rating because it actually helps you get a better rate. It helps you get to a better lender, a lender who will welcome you and not punish you because of your credit. So it's like, okay, I've had trouble making my payments, so my credit is bad, but now I've got to pay a higher rate of interest because my credit is bad. So this is vicious cycle of never being able to get out of that. So you have to take necessary steps. And those steps are, you know, avoid, first of all, avoid shopping for credit. Uh, so don't go out there and apply to eight, eight uh, credit card companies, give your social insurance number. And now everybody's doing a check because that will have a negative impact on your on your credit rating because it looks like you're in need of money. Interesting story. About a year ago, um, I have uh, several rental properties that I have, and I have lines of credits on those. And I thought, you know what? I should probably just draw on some of these l- lines of credits because that will increase the amount of interest I'm paying and reduce my tax liability because I don't have as much um, uh, uh, coming off as far as um, principal, and most of that money is being paid by interest. So let me lower my monthly income by paying more interest. Um, so I, I took a lot of uh, and free up and I freed up a lot of cash that way. Um, but by doing so, I went through you know several properties, took the allowable uh, limit of my line of credit on each of those properties. All of a sudden, I re- I saw my credit score and it had dropped significantly, up by about twelve or fifteen percent. And and my banker looked at me and said, "Hey, are you okay? What's going on here? Why is your credit declining?" 
I didn't realize until my banker pointed out to me that the reason for that decline is because I drew on so many of these lines of credits in a short period of time, which right. triggered that I'm shopping for credit or I might be in financial distress and I need the money. So it's a lesson learned. And this is something I had no idea until I, I, I put myself in that position. Um, so avoid shopping for credit. Pull your own credit report. So when you need to know what your credit is, don't go to financial institutions and make applications and try to find out. So pull your own reports and you can do that through your own financial institution online. You can go on there. There's a tab that says, show me my credit score and know what your credit is. So, you know, uh, so it's like a little, little test to see each month how well you're doing on improving your credit. Um, pay your credit cards off regularly. So use your credit card. Use it for gas, use it for groceries, but pay it off every month because when you start paying right. it off, it shows that you're disciplined, you're responsible, you're you're not living off of credit, you're just using it as needed and you're and you're being responsible with the use of it. So that will all help you. But ultimately it helps you get better rates on your financing. It helps you get approvals on your mortgages. It also helps you get a rental property because a landlord will test you based on your credit score. And if they see that your credit score is high, they will look at you as a responsible individual who will make their monthly rental payments. Absolutely. That's, and, and that's great advice. I, I had, uh, was talking with someone else about the idea when it comes to your credit score, if you had, you've got credit cards that, that you don't use anymore. I, I had said to someone, well, just cancel them, cut them up. And, and the, the financial advisor had said, listen, if you if you have a zero balance on those things, they're not doing you any harm if they're just sitting there and, and it actually will, will boost your, uh, your rating because of the fact that it's it's you know it's 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 credit you're not needing to use. So another piece of advice, great uh, great information. Uh, we'll take a quick break, Faisal. Uh, when we uh, we'll get an update from the City News five seventy News Center as well. When we come back, uh, Faisal's going to spend some more time talking about more of his favorite topic, financial literacy, and I can't wait to hear what he's got to say. Stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker, Faisal Suziwala. The book continues to be ranked on Amazon's bestseller list, and uh, if you have never picked it up or you've never taken a look at it, this is your chance, and uh, get yourself a copy. If you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com, you can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, Faisal at homeshack.com. Uh, Faisal, it is uh, some people's favorite time of the year. Other people's maybe not so much. It's tax time. Uh, time to think about all the things we should have been doing all year long and gathering up those papers and putting them in a file or whatever we end up doing. Uh, we all have our, our routines and our, our sort of traditions when it comes to uh, taxes and, you know, hoping for an extension on the deadline, but that doesn't always happen. Um, if uh, in your mind... If you've got that opportunity and you can invest, this is this is a this is a little bonus that we all get, and maybe you can walk us through uh, what this what this means to people right now. Sure. Well, there's you know three real investment opportunities during tax time, and, and where there are allowances to either tax shelter or get some some benefits from our great government here. Uh, and, and one of those are, of course, RRSPs. So when you receive a T4 from your regular income and you want to reduce your tax payable, 
this is a great way to contribute to the maximum level or whatever you're able to, which will give you a refund um, once you've filed. And you can use that refund to then uh, pay off some, you know, debt if you've got, if you're carrying some debt, pay down your mortgage. But, you know, it's a little bit of a, of a bonus and that money is tax, uh, tax sheltered. So you're not paying income tax on it. So it's your earned income that you're getting some of that tax back on. So that's a really good way of just having a little bit of a bonus at the end of the year if you're able to contribute. The TFSA, Tax-Free Savings Account, this is great if you are just looking to access your money on an ongoing basis, because any funds that are uh, invested in this account, the gains on those accounts are tax sheltered. So there's no, um, there's no tax payable on that. And once you've made some money, you can take some money out because, again, there's no penalty for removing the money. Whereas in an RRSP, if you take your money out, ahead of, you know, uh, your retirement, let's call it, you're in a higher tax bracket, you're going to have to pay the tax on the money, because it's really a tax deferral, not a tax, um, not an avoidance, but a, a credit where you're not having to pay or pay income tax on earnings. Okay. Um, and then lastly, here we have the FHSA, which is the first home savings account. And that's, that's great, especially for the younger people. You may say, well, this is really too early for me to think about retirement. I need to get my life started. Well, the first home savings account is a great opportunity. If you're thinking of buying a home in the next 15 years, uh, start contributing to this. And the good news here is that any of the money you're contributing to your FHSA, first home savings account, let's just say you get to 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, you say, oh, I still can't buy a house. It's not going to happen for me. You can take that money and switch it into an RRSP without okay. taking up the room that you would have had in your RRSP. So it's a little bit of a, a lift in your RRSP. And now you've got something to sort of work towards for your retirement. Um, so there's always other opportunities. Now, there's so many different vehicles out there at tax time that you could take advantage of. And as always, um, speak to your financial advisor, speak to your accountant to see what's best for you, because we all have different needs and different timing on when we're going to need our money. And I know you've talked about this before, that idea of, you know, even if you've got that 18 year old, that's, that's you know, just getting started on under finishing high school and looking at whatever's next, uh, the, the, the FHSA might be a great sort of a little nest egg that they can be building on. And, and uh, you just set that aside and you're not really worrying about it right now. You've got, you've got upwards of 15 years to be thinking about it. And as Faisal said, you know, it, 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 it's going to, it's going to pay dividends down the, down the road. So important to know all of your acronyms, but that's interesting because uh, coming back to, to another thing we had talked about, uh, you mentioned the fact that acronyms like TFSA and, and uh, GICs and all of those things, a lot of us, we just we hear those things and we have no idea necessarily what they are. And maybe maybe you want to break the numbers down for us because it's it's a little disheartening when you take a look at them. Yeah, there was a survey conducted, and I think it was for one of the banks. I think it was for Tangerine Bank. Uh, they hired a firm to do a survey on do Canadians actually really know what what terms like TFSA, RRSP, FHSA, GIC, ETFs, uh, EBITDA what do these things actually mean? And right. it was interesting that 
less than 30% of Canadians actually knew what most of those uh, terms meant. So it, it makes us think that if you don't know what it means, chances are you're not investing in these items because right. you don't know what it means. So not having an understanding uh, is largely the reason why Canadians have not been investing in these. So if they had an understanding, if somebody was holding their hand, telling them that's where I've been preaching this whole financial literacy thing uh, in our schools, in our homes. Um, so it starts with it starts with home. Parents need to understand yeah. these terms. And parents need to sit down with their kids, let them know what the cost of operating a home is, what the cost of, uh, of putting food on the table is, and, and and start teaching your kids early enough so that that when it comes time for themselves to go into the real world, they have some concept. But then also talking about things like these RSPs and, and tax savings opportunities and first-time home savings opportunities. It's so important to start at the age of 18. I've done it for my kids, and I recommend most people should be doing that if they're in a position to do it. Start now. Even if it's small, start now and start getting the, 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 the benefits of that. Um, the sad reality in, in Canada, again, through the survey, is that one-third of Canadians admitted that their relationships broke up due to money issues. Wow. So again, yeah. if we had a better understanding on our finances, if we were able to have those conversations with our spouse, with our kids, with our with 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 with, with your with with your partner and 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 talk to them about um financial items, it wouldn't flare up, it wouldn't accumulate. And and it's not a situation where you know it's it's a taboo topic to talk about. So get that out in the open because it could really save your relationship at the end of the day. Um, yeah, and that's that's a great point. And I was just going to say that you know, like burying your head in the sand and and just pretending nothing's nothing's wrong that that never works out. It, it doesn't, and so you know, it needs to start at at, at home. It needs to be a, a prominent topic in schools, and then bankers have become very complacent in. You know, where it's not just an institution where you're depositing your money or you're holding your money and you're doing. And with the whole era of online banking, um, there's less and less interaction with with personnel in a bank. So it's really important that the banks step up a little bit and take the time to to know their customers, take the time to educate their customers, and give them options. Um, when when you and I were uh, starting out in our lives, uh, we had to walk into a branch and we had to meet a teller and we saw a personal banker. We sat across the table from our mortgage officer who interviewed us and filled out an application in front of us. And those conversations are not happening anymore. And because they're not happening, there has to be some form of outreach to your own customers to say, here's what it is. And, and, and that's why, you know, it shows like yours are great when you have these financial advisors on and they're educating your, your listeners, because I learn a lot from listening to a lot of the people that are on your show as well. And, and, and thanks for that, Faisal. I think you and I, you and I come from that generation where, um, there was something to be said to have, you know, physical money in your hand, right? And it's so easy these days to tap your phone, to tap your card, to do, and there's no, there's no real sort of interchange in your brain to say, 
okay. And so there were there were times when when our kids were younger, my wife and I would we would uh, take money out of the bank at the beginning of the week and actually put it in jars. And we did that. And and it's it, it you're more you're more mindful of it. You look at that and say, okay, we have X number of dollars for groceries and this. Okay, and if we don't have enough, well, the money's got to have to come from another jar. It's not just oh well, I can tap again. And I think that that sort of, you know, a tactile approach, I guess, and, and being able to have it in your hand. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a little bit harder to let go of too sometimes, which is, which isn't the worst thing in the world when it's your hard earned money, when it's, you're just tapping your card, it's a little bit different, but you, you touched on a really good point. I think for you and I as well, uh, for, for our generation, it was the bank of mom and dad. And in, and in most cases, not to generalize, but it seemed to be dad who looked after the finances and he just, and, and the assumption was, okay, well, everything will work out. And unless we asked, we really didn't have an understanding of what was going on. Yeah, and in many households, it was a taboo topic. You just don't ask about finances. You don't, you know, you don't go up to mom and dad and say, "Well, what? How much? How much money do you on this on on this house? Or how much money are you bringing in every year?" It's not topics. I was very fortunate growing up in a household where we were very aware of what was going on, and we were very aware because we didn't have a lot. So it was always like mom would say, you know, I have to when I when I would come home and say I, I want to spend fifty dollars on a pair of Nike shoes. Well, mom would say, you know, I have to work seven hours or six hours to pay for those. Right. So right. mentally, we started uh, being very much in tune with with how hard you need to work or how much you need to save in order to afford something. And there was no interact or or tapping or all of that. Uh, but today it's just become very easy and it's like, I'll get to it at the end of the month and the end of the month comes pretty quickly. And then we're living in minimum payment society, which is really hurting us. We're, we, we can go on this topic for, you know, a couple old guys sitting in our rocking chairs, but listen, we'll take, we're going to take a final break here on Ask the Experts. When we come back millionaires and mindfulness and why those two things might be connected. You're listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today has been Faisal Suziwala, also known as Canada's top real estate broker. Listeners, if you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly 519-624-5555 or through email Faisal at homeshack.com. Uh, one of the things that uh, we were uh, discussing beforehand, uh, the idea of becoming a millionaire in your 40s. Now, I don't want to admit anything on air, but I'd have to go back in time a little bit if I was to make that happen. But maybe, Faisal, you can walk us through uh, what if, if, if someone's out there in their 20s or 30s, you've got some you've got some guidance for them. You know, it, it, it's about starting as early as possible and having that 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 plan in your head that this is where I want to be. And, and, and you know, becoming a millionaire, it's a number, but it's also all about mindset to get there. And how do you how do you shift your mind to focus on those goals? And it could be about it could be financial. It could be it could be about other things. It could be about community. It could be a family. But setting those clear goals, determining exactly how much you need to save, and how much you need to invest, is the first step in determining the trajectory of your financial goals. Um, maximizing your earning potential. So if you're in a job, and and let's say you're working at at a bank, and you start off as a teller. Well, maybe you want to step up from being a teller to a customer service advisor. 
and then from that to a loans officer, and then from that to a branch manager, and then from that to a financial advisor. So, and then just keep growing in the umbrella that you're working in, as opposed to just being happy with the job that you have. And look, there's nothing wrong with being happy with the job you have. But if you're thinking, if you've got this mindset that I want to grow, I want to be, I want to be successful, I want to have financial success, then you have to. And then in addition to having your own career, have a side hustle. We're in a, we're in a time today that there's online opportunities. There's all kinds of uh, drop shipping. There's all kinds of things that you can do to supplement or add to your financial well-being. And it doesn't have to be just, I got, I have a nine to five job and this is all I'm going to make. So, um, you know, whether you're making cookies at home and selling them at the bakery uh, or, or taking them to the farmer's market or whatever it may be, have a side hustle. Um, live below your means. Okay. So we all earn X amount of dollars. We could probably spend every penny and more that we earn. But if you can get into the mindset of, of not spending, like almost like that mentality of, I don't have a lot. I don't have enough to mm -hmm. go and spend that, you know, $400 on a pair of shoes or, or eat that $500 dinner this or spend that money on whatever it is. So if you start reducing your spending, your, that increases your savings and that increases right. your ability to invest. There will come a time where you can reward yourself and you can do all those things. Um, so, you know, avoid those shiny objects in your earlier years, because uh, if you if you put in the time now, um, those will come to you organically at a later time. Um, use the government prescribed plans. So we talked about TFSAs, FHSAs, RRSPs. Anything that's out there that's government-based where it bonuses you for investing, take, understand it, learn it, speak to the right people, talk to your financial advisors, and start investing in those in those vehicles. Pay down your debt. Right. So don't carry lots of debt because you're just paying interest. And it's just like I said, that minimum uh payment lifestyle is never going to create wealth for you. So don't carry high credit card balances, don't take on unnecessary loans, don't go for the all the options on that brand new car just so that uh you know you, you feel good about it in the moment, but you're right. not gonna feel good when you see those payments coming out every month. Um pay, if you're gonna invest in stocks and that again, talk to a financial advisor, but maybe look at investing in stocks that pay dividends because then you have some recurring uh income. And of course, my favorite, invest in real estate, invest in real estate, invest in passive income, invest in properties where you can rent them out and someone else is paying off your mortgage. And lastly, network with successful people, learn what they've done, learn from their experiences, model excellence critically, find out what did they do to create their wealth. And it doesn't have to be, you don't have to copy what they did and you may not have the opportunity but it's the mindset they had and the and and the path they took to get to where they're at. It's not a straight path you typically. Um, you know, how do they get there? And seek mentorship. You know, align yourself with a group of individuals or an individual. Um, like they say, you know, you become the average of the five closest people to you. So surround yourself with good people. And I'm not just talking financially, I'm talking right. about good morals, good standards, good ethics, all of the above to create a, a happier and, 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 and more content lifestyle and life. Yeah. I, you, that, that, I remember you, that, that 
the point that you made about, you know, avoiding the shiny objects. And I think based on, you know, talking to people that are in their 20s and 30s these days, it seems that these days, and, and hopefully this is the, the case, that uh, the younger generation tends to be finding joy in experiences more so than in things, right? We always say, you know, love people, don't love things. The idea of uh, how do you, at the end of a day, where, when were you most joyful? When I was hanging out with my friends or when I was having a coffee with them or all of those things. And, and it's, if you can step back and you can look at that and say, that's where I'm gaining my joy and, and, and recharging my batteries and also surrounding myself with people, not only who make me feel good about who I am, but as you're saying, if you're the, if you're the average of those five people around you, it, you're improving yourself all the way along. I know it, it's it's easier said than done because we all want, we see it on, you know, every time we look on our phone, there's something else to buy or something else to add on, or, you know, we should get to the gym more and we should do these things. Uh, we spend a lot of our time thinking about what we should be doing instead of um, that idea of of being in that moment. And that that kind of ties into this your your view of of the mindset and and maybe you want to walk us through a little bit of that as well too yeah so you know mindset is very important if you if you have a gratitude mindset if you're if you're practicing gratitude if you're uh, you know it, it puts you in a in, in a positive state because we look around the world and there's so much hardship that's out there yeah. we we haven't even scratched the surface of hardship in this country thank god that we're here and and we enjoy right. the so so just waking up every morning in a country where you're not afraid to step outside uh, there's gratitude right there so that's mm -hmm. that's that's number 1 um just mindfulness dedicating just a few minutes to mindfulness each day um whether it's in uh, meditation whether it's prayer whatever it may be just to get your head right before you face the day, um, having this positive affirmations, you know, boosting your self-confidence um, and your outlook on life. That, that's so important as opposed to, you know, wake up in the morning. I was like, oh, God, I got to go to work again. I got to deal with all these people. It's like you're already in a negative state of mind before you've even gotten to to, to where you want to be. So it's not and in, in, in our industry in sales. I can't show up to a seller's home all grumpy. And feeling, feeling, feeling like I hate the world, right? right. So you have yeah. to wake up feeling. Now I'm very, very fortunate that I'm in a business that I love. I wake up every morning happy just to be in this industry that I'm in, and I love doing what I'm doing. But it it doesn't necessarily hold true. So you have to sometimes work at it uh, to 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 think about all the things that. And I say this to my kids, like you know, each time before you sleep, just just think about all the blessings you have and, and what you should be grateful for. Um, and then just physical activity. And, you know, I'm guilty of not doing that enough. Um, but that's, you know, just, just a quick little workout, uh, going to the gym, going for a brisk walk, um, you know, just, just that, that feel good, that, that release of endorphins. Um, we need that because that really gives your mind the, the boost it needs each day to face whatever issues you're going to have. And plan with purpose. Take a few moments to set clear intentions for the day. Don't just go out into the world not knowing what you're doing today. Like have some objectives, um, define your priorities, and then establish realistic goals. So don't say, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this today and then not do it because you're going to give up. So um, if, if, if you're in sales, for example, and you wanted to meet five people this week, well, don't say I'm going to meet five people this, this day. I'm going to spread right. it out 
I'll meet one person today and, and just make realistic goals that you can stick to. And it's, you know, take action, be consistent and allow the time for things to happen. Let's end it right there. That's that's the best way. I like that. We can wrap things up just like that. Faisal, I, thanks so much for coming on the show today. We always uh, we always get way off track in some ways, but we always circle back to uh, to uh, really important things to talk about. And and thanks for giving us some of your time today. Thank you. Always a pleasure seeing you, bro. Thank you. That was Faisal Suziwala, Canada's top real estate broker, recently published author of The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker, and someone willing to share his thoughts on the current real estate market and also things wrapped up in mindfulness, mindset, all of those key things that make, uh, make us uh, a better person on a daily basis. Big thank you to our technical producer, Devin Robertson. He pushed all the right buttons again. And thanks to you listeners for joining us. You've been listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570.